Since 1970, this band's music has changed and evolved with time. Their roots and early influences are always evident in their recordings. They blend soul, funk, jazz, and rock like no other band. We're talking about Tower of Power. They have their own unique genre, and they don't easily fit in traditional defined categories. You know, man, the only thing that sounds better than a Tower of Power record is a Tower of Power live show. What a thrill we have today. We've got the vibe master of tone, Mr. Emilio Castillo, talking about his sobriety journey. That's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. It is my true delight today to bring you the founding member, songwriter, tenor sax, singer, and the vibe meister of tone from Tower Power, Mr. Emilio Castillo. Welcome, Emilio. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Man, I got to tell you, there's, there's, you know, musicians talk, you know, when we talk about changes, playing over changes, we talk about common tones, right? So I was thinking about some things that, uh, that were common tones between you and I, I was doing some reading, obviously, in preparation, not to, not to be totally unprepared, because I am a fanboy here of your music and your playing. I, I noticed that there were some things you said about always knowing what you wanted to do. Like, it was never a doubt for you that you wanted to be a musician. And that's been my story. Uh, I played sports as a kid, but the, from the moment I picked up a guitar, something happened. It was like, a magic spell. And I just, I, I just knew that that was where I wanted to go. Some other common tones is that um, I was in LA in my 20s as a studio musician kicking around. And I used to play a lot at the Palomino Club. And, <laughs> and I used to see your guys as in neon because, you know, they used to have the signs up in neon. Remember, they say Tower of Power. And I'm like, man, I want to go because, you know, the guitar playing in your band, being a guitar player. Now, I, I know the horn charts were we're just, you know, badass because you cats were always at the top shelf of the entertainment lab as far as horn players, charts, playing, intonation, all this stuff. But to me, the guitar playing with the tone of the Les Paul and the center pickup and just the, the bluesy playing, but the right hand stuff was always to me, that was, man, I just, I just love those records. And I just want to say I needed to get that out of the way, man, before we even got started talking about recovery. <laughs> Cool, man. So um, this podcast is really for, you know, people who are in recovery from addiction of any kind, trauma, mental health, disabilities, eating disorders. And our intention with this podcast is to showcase people that are lantern holders, people that are making it. And, you know, your story is fantastic. What I do know, and you can you certainly tell me uh, a lot more, and I'm hoping you will talk more than me today. What was it like for you when you were out there in, in active use? I know you got sober in, in 1988, and I was in L.A. during that time. Just curious, were you also in L.A. in 88 when that happened for you? Yeah, that was a great place to get sober. I'll tell you, there was a lot going on out there, too, and it was a pretty easy place to find whatever you needed to on the other side, on the flip side, for sure. Yeah, even today when I go to L.A., I'm always reminded of how great the uh, recovery meetings are there. 
Yeah, really is. And the Music Cares Foundations, you know what I mean? It's There's some really fantastic people <laughs> associated with that. You know, we're not going to mention their names, but, you know, some people I'm very fond of. So let me stop talking, brother. And, you know, since we only have about a half hour, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the story about, you know, what was it like for you before you got sober? I was pretty functional as an addict and as an alcoholic. I always showed up, you know, I ran the band all those years. Uh, but, you know, in, in retrospect, looking back with a sober mind, I realized that uh, it would have been so much better if I'd have been sober, you know, but that's not who I was, you know, and uh, we came up in that Fillmore West era and that's what it was about back then. Everybody was getting high and, you know, making music and free love and all that. And, and that was cool for a while. But then, you know, the narcotics came in and pretty soon everybody was chasing their addiction. And and I was doing the same. And so it was kind of like a juggling match, you know, uh, because the band has always been the most important thing to me. Since I was 14, it's always been about the band. You know, I always kept that going and kept that together. But I'm trying to keep the addiction supplied as well while I'm doing that. And, you know, it became increasingly difficult and things started falling away. And my marriage, I had gotten married and I had a little girl and we moved down to L.A. We actually left the Bay Area to try to get my career back on track, you know, because things were going downhill. And uh, I got down to L.A. and, you know, I'm hanging out at the record plant studio and trying to get recording sessions and I'm trying to get all my guys to move down there. And eventually, you know, I did that and, and I did revive my career. But, you know, I just kind of changed seats on the Titanic down there. You know, a lot more pills, uh, a lot more blow, a little bit of meth. You know, I'm trying not to use uh, heroin intravenously, but even still sometimes on the road or, or I'd have some methadone sent in. And, and, but I really got a big pill addiction. Uh, you know, I, I had no tools for recovery. I started working uh, besides Tower of Power. We did uh, four years touring with Huey Lewis in the news. We made some really good money. Looking back, I wish I'd invested in all that. And, you know, I mean, because I was just feeding the addiction. We had a lot of fun. You know, we did. And uh, for me, you know, getting high and having fun ended in 75. But the truth is, you know, we were traveling the world with the most famous actor in the world. And he allowed me to bring Tower of Power out and do midnight shows. And they would come and sit in. And, you know, and all that was, it was great, you know. But the whole time I have this, you know, increasing shame about the way I'm living my life. And I know that things are slipping away. I know I'm hurting the ones I love. And I don't know what to do about it. That's the truth. Was there a place, I know for me, I live in very close to Akron, Ohio, which is home to some of the first um, modern addiction treatments, modern alcohol treatments. And I ended up actually in St. Thomas Hospital on the seventh floor, which I go back to and I get to volunteer on Monday nights there in the detox ward. So it's a constant reminder to me, brother, just who I used to be. You know what I mean? I think there's nothing more important in my life than working a 12-step program and being always reminded that I'm just one, one drink, one fix, one hit away because, you know, you can fill this whole room up, man. Just, you know, it won't be enough for me. All it takes is one for me and I'm gone. I'm off and gone. My sponsor tells me, he says, you know, we're, we're never standing still. Mm -hmm. We're either moving towards a drink or we're moving away from it. 
So I get up every day. I make sure that I do my spiritual work. I get my mindset so that I'm moving away from the drink and I'm staying in recovery. Working with others really was the game changer for me. Was the game changer for me. That spiritual moment happened for me up in that detox ward. You know, and 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 I, you know, I, I joke, but maybe it was the phenobarbital that gave me to to, to not go into seizures. But I, I had a moment of clarity that. I could change my life if I did some things. And I really pursued it after I left there. But was there a moment for you where, where you felt like, you know, man, this is it. It's changing. You know, I had no hope whatsoever. I was completely ashamed of myself. I accepted the fact I was going to die before I was 40 and I was 37. I went in that hospital to just rest. But I snuck into a lecture on the 12 steps and I realized that day I could stop and not be miserable. And man, I wanted it. And, uh, you know, they started saying, you know, there's some things we do around here. You know, there are suggestions, but we really strongly suggest you take them. And I just took every one of them. I didn't want to die. You know, I hear people in meetings a lot say, you know, I just wanted to die, man. I'd wake up and, oh, my God, I didn't want to be alive. I was never like that. I always wanted to live I never had a suicide thing, you know, and, and I didn't want to die. When I found out there was a way to stop, because by the time I got to the hospital, it had all stopped working for almost a year. So I, I was in a bad way because the thing that had worked for a lot of years wasn't working no more. You know, I just wanted a way out. You know, just somebody show me what to do so I could stop living like this. And, you know, by God's grace, that's exactly what happened. I realized there's something they do besides go to these meetings. For some reason, that was just very clear to me. And I'm so grateful it was. For me, it was kind of like, you know, when you're learning to be a player and you hang out with the, with the, with the older cats and they got the gigs and they got the cool axes, and they've got it all together. You know, they're, they're, they know how to gig. Right. And I, I found a real parallel between getting sober and hanging out with some of the old timers with just becoming a player like this guy knows how to do it. You know, and I try to tell people now, you know, I mean, you, you want to get sober, find the badasses, you know, find the guys that know what they're doing and you'll, you'll see them. They'll be there. They'll be the ones quiet, <laughs> sometimes not saying so much, man, and looking at you with that look like, oh, really? You want to learn something? Come here. Come here. You know what I mean? But what were the first few miles like for you? I mean, as far as starting to play again, when, when sobriety came around for you? Well, you know, I agree with you about, you know, what they told me is, you know, look for the winners. And I was like a divining rod for dope. I mean, I could be in Tokyo, anywhere <laughs> in Europe. I always knew who had the dope and I knew how to get it. Right. And I used that same mentality in the rooms, you know? Yeah. I looked for the people that had the kind of life that I wanted. It was really easy to tell. They were comfortable in their own skin. They had a life. They were giving it away. Those people to me were the winners. And they said, go where they go, do what they do, hang out with them. And that's what I do. And I still do that today. Yeah, I know, man. I always look for the people that have quality sobriety. I hang out with them. But when I first got sober, uh, I remember I came out of the treatment facility and, you know, my marriage was falling apart. So my manager, Michelle, she got in her, like, like the treatment facilities tell me, go home, go to seven meetings a week, get a home group, right. get a sponsor, blah, blah, blah. Well, I didn't even go home. My manager felt that, oh, since he's so tore up over his marriage falling apart, 
work is the best thing for him. <laughs> so <laughs> I went from the hospital to LAX. Wow. And I flew to Florida at that time. That was the cocaine capital of the world. It was. In the 80s, it was. It was, Miami. It and was I man. I played yeah. an outdoor rock concert. And I was the lead singer. Oh, man. And I remember I got there and uh, I immediately found a meeting. And then I went to the sound check. And I remember I was in this van right before we went on stage. And my bass player, Rocco, pulled out a bindle of blow. And he goes, uh, you don't mind if I do it, do you? And I remember looking at him and I was thinking, I mean, I got this huge like Cheshire Cat smile on my face. Like, I was so happy that I didn't have to do it anymore, you know? You know, man, you go ahead. I'm done. And I went up. I sang my first set sober. Voice was better than ever. Played better than ever. You know, and then I, I went to meetings all on the road. And when I got to Texas... I asked my road manager to see if I could eat early because I wanted to go to this meeting and get my 30-day chip. And I was over at the venue eating, and this guy comes in. He goes, how's dinner? I go, it's good, thanks. He says, uh, yeah, they told me you wanted to eat early because you're going to a meeting. What kind of meeting are you going to? And I was a little hesitant at first. And then, you know, I was proud of myself. And I went, I'm going to an AA meeting. I have 30 days sobriety. I'm going to get a chip. And he goes, are you kidding me? He goes, he goes, have you ever been to N.A.? I'll take you to N.A. and get you a chip. He goes, didn't you see the name of our company? I go, no. And he goes, step three entertainment. We got 56 people in the program here. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. That's how my sobriety started, you know. Right. He took me to an N.A. meeting. He got me a chip. He gave me a book by Emmett Fox. He gave me a tape by Cliff R., you know. And, uh, and I remember he took me back to the gig and I played the gig, did really good. When I came off, there was a guy in, we were like in this sort of office space, uh, changing our clothes and stuff. We were in those little cubbies and my horn was there and I was putting my horn away and there's a guy in my cubby. And I look at him, he looks somewhat familiar, but I didn't know who he was. And he goes, uh, hey, you're the new guy, huh? I go, what? He goes, Jerry tells me you're the new guy. You're sober? I go, Oh, oh, I go, yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, you don't remember me, do you? I go, no. He goes, I was on tour with you, with Huey Lewis for a time. His name was Ray. He was a, he was the tour manager for, uh, or the production manager for ZZ Top on that big tour that year. And, and he started telling me all these stories about how he got sober. And, you know, we became fast friends. And that, I mean, it just continued from there. Got up to Connecticut. The owner of the club called me. He had been sober two years. This is a guy I did all kind of drugs with. I was afraid to talk to him. I thought, you know, slippery place, you know. But he goes, hey, man, I heard you got sober. We're going to some meetings. I'll pick you up in five minutes. You know, we just started going to meetings. When Doc got sober, that same guy used to, he really helped him in early sobriety. And, you know, it's been that way throughout the world for me. I got friends all over the world in recovery. And that's the best part, isn't it? So what's it like for you today? You're still playing. I mean, we came through the pandemic. I read somewhere that you, know, you, you were practicing a lot of your diminished scales. Man, my eye was shedding a ton. I had to do some other things. I mean, I was doing a lot more teaching, online teaching. But I, I, I was like, you know, almost the silver lining of not working was that I had a ton of time to practice. And that really reconnected me with a lot of things. And, and I read that you had been doing the same thing. So... What's it like for you? I, I, you know, I started to practice. Honestly, I never practiced my whole career. I, me and Doc, we never practiced. But we play all the time. Right, yeah, yeah. 
I'm out 300 days a year, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I was off for a couple of months and I'm talking to Doc and he goes, uh, hey, he goes, uh, I'm practicing my horn. <laughs> I go, whoa. <laughs> and he goes, don't tell no one. <laughs> and uh, he goes, yeah, he goes, it's a good thing I did, man. He goes, I'm doing long tones. I'm practicing scales. He says, man, my lip was so out of shape. And I yeah. said to myself, I better go check out my horn. And yeah. I started playing, man, my lip was tore up. Yeah, yeah. And so I started practicing and, you know, and learning all these double diminished scales and doing all this stuff. And, you know, it's it's been good. So uh, now we're getting ready to go back on the road in August. So I'm really getting in shape for that. Yeah, I saw that, man. You guys were going on a, through the following March. It's up on your website right now. So Yeah, and they're still filling it in. So Yeah. The closest you're coming is is pretty far away. But I just wanted to, to, you know, as we wrap this up today, I just wanted to say, you know, if you ever get near Akron, Ohio, you got a friend here. We'd love to have you down to the radio station and just show you what we've got going with our rock and recovery program. Our intentions are to try in whatever way we can to, to spread the word of people that are making it, you know, because there is such a stigma that everybody knows about, about recovery, especially now that there's a lot of other ways that you can, you can get in trouble. But, you know, Emilio, I, I just want to say I'm so honored to have spent this time talking to you. I've been a fan of your music and I'm even more fan of a person now that I've got a chance to meet you, man. You know, so well, I appreciate thank you. you so, thank, thank you so much for joining us. And I just want to say to our guests, you know, thanks for hanging us for this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes and more guests as they share their journey from the darkness to light. And until then, everybody stay standing and steady on. <laughs>